So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron, and today my special guest is Meredith Kasten. Meredith is a physical therapist who I met uh, 2015 at uh, CSM or so, walking around the whole exhibition center, and uh, we chatted, and it's taken five years for me to get her on my podcast. She is uh, she runs the non-clinical PT, so she's helping other physical therapists um, create work and jobs and uh, help other people without just feeling constrained to clinical life. So uh, Meredith, welcome to the show. Appreciate you Thanks. being here. Thanks for having me. Did I, did I kind of get that right? Like what you do and who you're helping? Yeah, that was great. I mean, it's, it's all about helping people stay, keep their identity, their identity as PTs, but also explore what else is out there so that they're not starting over if they don't want to treat patients anymore. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So Tell me, what are some of the, I mean, I can probably guess, and they're probably some of the same reasons people end up like starting a cash practice, but what are some of the big problems people are having, uh, who you're helping? Like, what are some of the things that these physical therapists are struggling with uh, in their in their clinical life where they're like, I got to get out of this? You know, I think it's pretty multifaceted and it's probably not going to surprise anybody what the answer is. It's expensive to become a PT. We all know that. And then the the raises just aren't there. There's not always a lot of career growth. There might be some growth in terms of your title or your responsibilities, but often it doesn't really, you don't get the commensurate pay with that growth. And I think in a lot of cases, there's not a whole lot of respect. So one of the things that I've really come across a lot is people move into these clinic director roles and they get so excited and then they're sort of capped out there. They hit the glass ceiling. And one of the reasons is that they're expected to carry a full caseload. And so mm -hmm. they think that they're going and they're growing and they're growing their careers, going into management. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we expect you to be a really stellar manager, but only on top of your 75% caseload. And so what ends up happening is the patients aren't going to see themselves. So then managers get kind of stifled there because they can't really move up the ladder because they're not really doing their managerial duties that well because they're too busy doing patient care. And so we kind of see that in a lot of the the traditional growth pathways in, in PT. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more responsibilities, not always a lot more recognition or pay. Right. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not unsurprising, but it's so it's that, okay, I've got this job as a staff PT and I have opportunity to make more money. So I now have to go be a manager and now I'm managing other physical therapists, but I still have to treat a full caseload. Yeah. What are some of these, uh, what are the additional responsibilities people have as a, in quotes, manager now? And are they being like trained on how to do that? I'm glad that you said that because no, in many cases, that's the other issue is that they're not really getting sort of prepared for these roles. And I, I would argue that, okay, it's not necessarily the company's job to train you and make you manager ready. I mean, you definitely should be prepared to put in some of the work yourself and go take some leadership classes and go um, read some leadership books and 
all of those things, it, it kind of falls on your shoulders to become a good manager. But I think when your hands are tied and you're so busy treating patients that then 4 p.m. rolls around and it's your manager time and you're completely exhausted and you have to do your documentation and then, oh yeah, you have to run the numbers for the budget or you have to do some HR stuff or really whatever it is, you have to do, work on culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's going to take the back seat? It's probably going to be the culture. And so that's what I, I see happening a lot is you have these stellar, hardworking, really talented PTs, PTAs, and really other professions too. They get promoted because they're so good in the clinic and they're ready to grow their career. And so then they're moved into these roles and then they kind of burn out and yeah. then they want to leave the profession altogether. And it's not just them. I mean, it's, it's everybody has their reason for wanting to leave. I have new grads coming that say, I, I knew when I was in clinicals that I didn't want to do this. And then I have people who've been in the clinic for 25 years and they say, I still love it, but my back hurts and everyone in between. So I think that's just one common scenario that someone will kind of be on that growth track. And then I just hear it a lot. They go, oh, you know, I became a manager and it was just not what I thought it would be. And there was no upward mobility and I burned out. And now I just want to go real, sell real estate. Something yeah. yeah. So they're getting to the point where they're like, I don't even want to treat patients anymore because this just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in many cases, it's not that the treating patients part sucks. I think it's just everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to depend on what their personality is. So some per, somebody might say, I really can't stand the documentation, but I would sit and treat patients from eight to eight every single day and, and never worry about it thing. Yeah. And then other people would say, I just wish I could document all day and play with the EMR and just streamline it and make, and so everybody's got different things they don't like about it. But I think what's Mm -hmm. expected of us as treating PTs is to get out there and kind of meet unrealistic expectations. The insurance companies are saying they want a mountain of paperwork for every single patient prior authorization or post-treatment authorization. And then you've got these clunky EMRs that are freezing on you and old equipment. And then you've got patient satisfaction. And then sometimes the, the clinic might flow really well, or you've got a tech bringing back the patient. So that's not an issue. So, but then another another PT might be like, oh, it's just so frustrating because I can't see into the waiting room. So I can't tell when my patients show up late and I think they're not there. So everyone's kind of got their own issues. And I think that's a big key of figuring out what you want to do next Mm -hmm. is what is it about patient care that is bothering you so much? Is it, do you actually dislike patient care? Well, then you probably need to do something where you're not really facing the public so much. But if you don't mind that and you, you enjoy being on and talking with people all day, that's going to be a completely different issue and, you know, it's, you probably don't like being in front of a computer all day. In right. that case. So playing devil's advocate, sure. right? Like I'm a business owner, I'm a clinic owner, and there's a bunch of other clinic owners on here. Is there something that clinic owners are doing wrong or could do differently to keep their clinicians treating patients and being a manager of the business? Is there something that you're seeing like, that people should need to be doing instead, you know, before people get burned out and like, I'm, I'm done doing this. I definitely think open lines of communication is just, it's so important because someone, everyone's going to struggle. Some people are going to struggle with the business side of things. Some people are going to struggle with managing others and being the bad guy or being, you know, trying to go the opposite direction and being too much of the good, good guy and being a bit of a pushover. So I think just having open lines of communication and saying, where do you feel like you need to grow? Here's where I see you can grow. And then being amenable to supporting people in those areas of growth and 
rather than just kind of being like, well, the person before you did it and they were fine and, and they moved up. I don't think that's a good attitude to take. Just say, hey, you've, you've expressed you want to grow. You want to be a leader. There's something in you that says that you want to lead. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to make that happen? And then where are you going to meet me halfway leader? You know, are you, are you willing to take these classes? Maybe we can split the cost. Maybe, maybe you take them and then I reimburse you if you're doing a good job in X amount of time. So, but I think if you're not communicating about those things and people don't feel like they can be honest about their struggles, that's where, that's where we get into trouble. But that's, I mean, I feel like we could have a whole hour conversation about communication. Yeah. Is it, um, I mean, but there is also like a, a salary issue. I mean, how much of this is like, are you seeing people leaving clinical care because their salary can only go so high um, and they're looking to do something else, even like medical sales? I mean, how, what percentage of people are you seeing that that's just the case? It's like, I love treating patients, but if I can't make more than 85 or a hundred thousand dollars a year, I got to go do something else. Yeah. I would say there's a, a pretty good chunk of people who feel that way. Although mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it's the the large majority. If anything, I think the large majority of people who come through, they want more work-life balance. Yeah. Their issue is not so much the pay. They say, well, and it really depends because the younger ones seem to want more pay. And I get that because they usually don't, they're not tied down with family commitments and they have more student loans. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be going, okay, I want to pay these things off really quickly. So maybe medical sales appeals to them because they can travel more. Right. But when I, when I have people who want to leave the clinic a little bit later, cause they're kind of hitting that financial ceiling, but they're not drowning in loans. They just, want to earn more, then they're usually not going to pursue the sales route. They're going to typically want more time with their families and want more of a, like a remote role. That's a really big one recently. People really want to go remote. And I mean, understandably we're in a global pandemic. So people are kind of like, I kind of want to stay at home right now. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other reasons that people are wanting to leave patient care or like don't even get into it in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I think for some of us, and and I'll just throw myself in this category. Mm -hmm. I think some of us kind of feel too much. And that was always my issue is I would just take my patient's pain home with me. Mm -hmm. And if they were, if they had a bad day, I'm kind of an empath type. And so they had a bad day. I had a bad day. If my coworkers had a bad day, I had a bad day. If everybody around me is happy, I was happy. And so I think for some people, it's a very empathetic field in a lot of ways. And you're really listening to people. We all know this. It's not just treating their knee. It's treating everything that the knee has affected. And so, so I think there are a lot of people who leave just because they don't want to deal with OPP with other people's problems. They just, they want to deal with their own world and their family's problems or their own problems. And, and that's that. And they want to be with like charts and graphs the rest of the day. Yeah. So, um, now that you opened the door, what is the, uh, what was your story? Like how, how long did you treat patients or did you, and what was it that, like, was it just the fact that it was really tough to balance how you felt day to day, you know, that kind of sent you out of patient care? Yeah. You know, I, it was a career change for me. And so that was, I think when I look back, I was like one of those miracle patients at 25, surprise, surprise. I mean, a miraculous recovery from back mm-hmm. injury in PT. And I was like, this is gold. I can't believe how cool this is. I've got to do this for other people. And it was kind of a, a bit of a split decision you know, or a spur of the moment decision and got really excited about it and went to PT school. I was lucky. I got a scholarship because there was a new program in town and they were working on attracting new students. And so everything just kind of lined up and I don't know. It felt like it almost felt like the stars aligned. I met someone in one of my community college classes who was like, you've got to become a PT. And Mm -hmm. so when I was in school, 
I realized that I had made kind of a grave error because I wasn't as into a lot of the touching as the rest of my <laughs> I've never been a particularly touchy person. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but you shouldn't yeah. go to to become a manual therapy. You shouldn't go to St. Augustine as a manual therapist. That's where I ended up going. If you're not that into touching people. So right. I, I kind of got like the sense when I was in school that I wasn't as interested. And then we went out for clinicals and that's where the, Oh, you know, Whoa, <laughs> this is going to be a real problem sort of hit me because I went to d- multiple settings and I was trying to explain it away. Like, Oh, maybe my CI and I didn't gel or, Oh, maybe maybe it just wasn't the right setting for me. Or I always had an excuse for like why I would come home just feeling drained and exhausted mm-hmm. and not super happy at the end of every day. And I'm a pretty happy person. So I was just like, what is going on? And, um, and I think once I got out and I got into the real world where people say, Oh, don't worry when you're a student, it's not the, it's not the same thing. When you get in the real world, it, you'll really experience what it's like to be a PT. So I got out into the real world and I was like, I'm still waiting on liking this career. <laughs> and there were, there were aspects I loved about it. Like coworkers. Great. Um, I liked inter- interfacing with the patients a lot and talking with them and making chit chat. But when they had big problems, it was really, it would drain on me. And if I couldn't get them hundred percent better, I was one of those people who took it home and was like, it's my fault. I'm a bad PT. And I don't know. Here's another kind of side note. Some people really need to see immediate results to feel good. And if I had known that about myself, which I I need to see immediate results to feel like I've done a good job and it's kind of a character flaw, but it is what it is. And so I should have become a pharmacist looking back, but I just didn't want to be a pill pusher, not that they're pill pushers, but in my, in my head at the time, I was just like, I don't, I want to do physical movement, but I don't have the patience to wait like eight weeks for people to make this much range of motion gain or their pain to drop from 10 to eight and a half. So it just wasn't a good fit. And and that's, but I did treat for five years. You asked how mm-hmm. long I did it okay. I for five full years and I've been out for 10. So it's, I just hit that kind of midway point where I'm, I'm half and half, but um, yeah. So it was, I think around when I saw you was right when I was making that transition mm-hmm. out. Wow. That's awesome. So what'd you do to like, what was the, what happened where you made a decision? It was like, I need to do something different outside of clinical care. And what'd you do to start making that happen? I think it was the day someone threw a gate belt at me. I was at my probably third or fourth job by that point. And I had like six jobs in five years or something crazy. And I remember I was just treating this guy and he was a jerk and I was, I was trying to get him to work with me. Cause I was like, I've just got to get you out of bed. He had had a really bad accident and he really was not, shouldn't have been walking without a gate belt. Mm-hmm. So I was like, just let me put the gate belt on you. Let's get up, get walk around. It's part of your discharge planning. And I was trying to appeal to him and he got super mad and threw the gate belt at me. And I just in that moment, I, w- I was just like, I don't think that this is the career for me because yeah. On the good, like the best of days were really great, but the worst of days were people throwing gate belts at you. And I mean, it was, a, it was a hard throw. And so, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just kind of giving it back to me roughly. Yeah. And so I was just thinking, you know, I just feel like there's gotta be something else. And having been a career changer, I thought I could just naively, I thought I could just turn around and go back to, to web design and graphic design, which is what I started out doing. Mm-hmm. And my skills were just so obsolete after about you know, five years at that point of 
not working in the field that nobody wanted me. And nobody wants someone who's like, I'm going to go be a PT. Oh, just kidding. I'm going to come back and be a graphic designer. Like right. my resume was a mess. So. Yeah. So what'd you do? Cause you know, like obviously something worked. So yeah. is it, yeah. Well, it was, it was a couple of things all, of the, all at the same time. I applied for a rehab liaison PRN job and I, it was such a long shot because, by the way, mm. this whole time I was sending out resumes. And the thing is, my sister's a career counselor and a career coach. So she was she was trying to help me through all of this. And but I wasn't listening and I wasn't taking her advice because she was like, well, try and figure out what you want to do and then then do it. And I was just like in this state of panic and frustration and fear and sadness. And so I was just flinging out resumes and nothing was happening. And finally, this PRN job, it uh, didn't hear anything from them. So I reached out to a friend who worked there as an OT and she was like, they said that you never, they not never got your resume. It just never got to them. And so it was sort of like a bell went off when I realized that I kind of had what I felt like was the perfect background by that point. I'd worked in every setting they wanted. I knew FIMS. I knew all the stuff they needed you to know. And so the fact that they didn't even get my resume was this like wake up call. And so she was able to pass my resume to the hiring manager. We had a great interview. I was hired and I was PRN at that job. And so, and I met, you met Brett Kestenbaum at the time, right? We were, so he yeah. and I met and we, created a website for new PTs around the same time called new grad physical therapy, which is no longer in existence, but um, it's part of covalent careers now. So that was, he basically had come up to me at my other like PRN job that I was mm -hmm. doing. He said, ah, he was a brand new grad. And he's like, I don't think I want to do this long-term. And I was just like, yes, there's another one of me. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to talking, I think it was over Thanksgiving, 2014, maybe. And yeah. we were having a meal at the hospital, like is this what, is this all there is? And we ended up launching this website and I got the taste of what it was like to use my background in a completely new way. And so between the PRN rehab liaison job and running new grad physical therapy, which was, that was 2015, 2016. Oh man, it was, I, I was suddenly just like over the moon, happy with my career. And that, I mean, that was all I needed to know. It's like, okay, you definitely are not a patient care person. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. That's really cool. So with new grad physical therapy, you guys were what, like doing articles and interviews and creating a resource for other new grads, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was always kind of a part of covalent careers. And it was mm -hmm. this family of websites and I could go through the whole, you know, company structure, but I don't want to yeah. bore everybody, but yeah. that was basically, um, they kind of already had a plan for the website, which was really nice because at that point, all I knew how to do was write and make graphics because mm. I had been a graphic designer. My web design skills were obsolete because I was designing before WordPress was even around. I'm like dating myself. Yeah. But I built uh, two HTML websites in 1995. Yes. Okay. So we're probably, we're probably around the same age. Cause I was in high school around when like, yeah, the, when the web was happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was my background was HTML, CSS and everything. And so they were running the new grad family on, um, WordPress. And so I had mm -hmm. to learn WordPress and then that was fine, but I didn't know anything about content marketing. I didn't know anything about, I was like one of those people who refused to be on social media. So Brett had to convince me to get into Facebook groups and drop articles in there. And so, um, yeah, I had to learn all of that stuff. And then I just continued to learn all of that since I left then them. But that was the thing. I worked with them for probably two or three years and 
then I ultimately ended up leaving mainly because I was having so many people reach out to me every time I would send an email blast with these new grad articles, Mm -hmm. people would write back being like, okay, that's cool, but I don't want a PT job. I want to do something like what you're doing. And so you keep talking about being a rehab liaison, or you keep talking about like you write, you write and you run this website. How do I do that? And so I started informally coaching people on the phone and just taking calls. And I had to move them to the weekends because Brett and Matt were like, Hey, this is company time. Do the coaching on the, you know, on your own time kind of thing. And so I was fine with that. So I was talking with them on the weekends. And, um, and so it just kind of, I had this idea that, so many people, this is this big problem in the industry. Everybody wanted to leave, but they didn't know how. And I didn't know how. I mean, it took me three years from the from that time of the gate belt getting thrown at me to actually landing the job. I think that was about two or three more years until I until I really got to the point where I felt like I was a non like non clinical. Right. And so that's the thing. I, people were asking me for help, and I would just I would tell them what I knew, but I, it's not like I knew that much at that point. So I started just like researching things, and then I would get on the phone and, and say, "Oh, well, I found this new career. This might fit you." I, so that's kind of how it all. Yeah, that's worked. awesome. So it was covalent careers? Was that like a job that you were in for like for a while, and then you left that, or how did? Uh, I'm just curious. You know? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> it's so funny. It's because sometimes when I try to explain it, it does take a while, but. So when they started, it was Brett and Matt, they started Covalent Careers together, Mm -hmm. I think in like 2014-ish. I don't know if that's exactly right, but Matt had already been running. He started with otstudents.com or optometrystudents.com, something like that. And then when he graduated optometry school, he started New Grad Optometry. So I think after he started New Grad Optometry, which was probably 2013-ish, I'm just guessing, that's when he and Brett linked up and they started Covalent Careers. Uh, and got it. More of a, re- a recruiting thing. And so they decided to do new grad physical therapy as an offshoot of Covalent Careers. But I wasn't even super privy to all of this because I was just kind of like, whatever you need me to do, if yeah. it will lead to me to do something else, just tell me. And so, and I have always loved writing, um, but I never thought I was much good at it. And I never thought it was like a career thing. Um, I just kind of, enjoyed it. Like I would blog for fun in the, in the early days of the internet and stuff. And so, yeah. so I said, just send me whatever you need written and I'll just write the articles and I'll edit because he hates writing. And so I was like, I'll edit all your articles and then just let me know what you guys need me to do. And it, so then once we, once they got new grad physical therapy, never made much money on its own. So they ended up kind of rolling it into covalent careers. And once that happened, then they hired me for an actual full-time job. And that's when I left my liaison career to work for covalent careers. And I was there about a year. And then around when I was just getting to the point where I was like inundated with people reaching out with this other stuff. And then I was also kind of over working at a startup, to be honest, yeah. it was just, it was, it's exhausting. And so I was like, well, I'll just take a full-time job and do this site on the side um, or the non-clinical PT. And I'll just see if, see what happens, see if it ever grows into anything. It'll be kind of my hobby. And so within five months of taking a full-time just writing job after covalent careers, my, the non-clinical PT was so busy that it was just time to, to make yeah. that my that's awesome. That's great. So um, I want to I want to kind of review this for people because so let's just review like you were a PT, you treated for five years, then you did this part time PRN thing you wrote for Covalent, and then you moved in. So you worked for them for about two years. Yeah, I would say. Right? Yeah, it was two years. It was yeah, like about two-, two years. And then it was another five months before your uh, non-clinical PT became your full-time thing. 
Yeah. But I think what happened with the non-clinical PT is it was so, it was just the timing was there because Mm -hmm. I was just noticing a trend when I was with new grad physical therapy. I thought I was the black sheep. In fact, when I would tell my, my coworkers and my colleagues and my former classmates that I wasn't super happy in the career, they would laugh at me sometimes. And they were like, this was a career change for you. Do you just not like working? And so I know they were just kidding, but I took it kind of personally and was just like, man, maybe I am not, maybe I just have no work ethic. Maybe I just kind of am like a crappy person that, that just wants to, wants to just enjoy the fat of the land. I don't know. I thought there was something wrong with me. And so it was when I started working at Covalent that I was just like, no, I like to work because, Mm -hmm. and I liked my PRN job. I love working and, and I liked being a web designer too. It just didn't, I didn't like sitting at a desk all day, every day at the time. Little did I know. Um, and so basically, um, I would say the five month period between when I launched my site to when it became something where I felt like I was comfortable making it my full-time job. It was more that I was getting like freelance assignments through that time too. So I had web PT, I guest posted for them a few times and they said, Hey, do you want to do some freelance writing? And then I had someone from OT potential reach out and say, Hey, do you want to do some freelance? So I was able to, I don't, I don't want people to think, Oh my gosh, I built the non-clinical PT and it became this, huge thing in five months. Well, that's the point I was trying to make is that uh, you've spent about 10 years (laughs) doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like, there's a five years of treating and figuring things out. And and then the whole two years of uh, writing for someone else and answering people's questions. And then that five month period, like of you going, okay, here's what we like. That's the point I'm trying to make is that it wasn't, it's not an overnight success. A lot of overnight success is uh, take years. Yes. Right. Yes. And I'm really glad you put it that way because I think a lot of times people, they, they might see someone kind of pop up quickly and gain traction quickly, but I already had, I already had a huge network of people I'd been coaching and working with. And so I had testimonials right away and yeah, it takes years. And then same thing with, with a course people, I think sometimes think you can put a course up and it's just a super easy thing. And it just makes money overnight and it's passive income. I'm always like, Ooh, passive income is, I mean, it's passive once you grind unpaid for like two years right. and then it's, it's, it's passive until your next launch. And that, that kind of thing. It's like, it has moments of being passive, but you have to continue working on it in the, in the back. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, passive income is, doesn't mean that you didn't do any work. Yeah. It just means that uh, you're not trading time for money. Right. Right. right? Exactly. So uh, now with non-clinical PT, you guys have, you have a a Facebook, a pretty popular Facebook group. And do you have like courses or mentoring, coaching, or what, what other ways are you helping people? Are you matching them up with other employers or? Yeah. Yeah. So the main thing that I have is my online course. It's non-clinical 101. And that in that I cover the 25 most common kind of easiest to pursue non-clinical career paths that you can make a fairly smooth transition into. You might need a little bit of extra education or a certificate or something, but it's, it's a fairly easy transition. And then we go over resumes, cover letters, interviewing, negotiating, and then just also deciding which of those 25 career paths is right for you. There's a whole chunk of the course that people like to skip. It's the very first step, but I love that stuff. It's when you sit there, you sit down and you go, what did I not like about patient care? It's everything we talked about at the beginning. Is it the documentation? Is it the being on all day with patients? Is it the fact that you have to go somewhere and be physically present? And so people you sit down and you kind of identify what it is that, that you want out of your next career, because 
in order to get to the next career, you really need to know where you want to go so that you can make a plan because all of us who became PTs, it's not like we were just like, Oh, I'm going to go be a PT. I mean, we had to go do volunteer hours. We had to take tests. We had to get grades. We did prerequisites. And it's easy to forget all of that work that went into becoming a PT. And so if you want to make a career change and not just get a job that's not great, then you do, you have to do that. You have to research what's out there. You have to figure out what skills you need. You need to get the skills if you don't have them. And then you need to tweak your resume and then you need to know how to negotiate and need to know how to interview and say the right things. And so that's my, probably my flagship thing. And then I have little crash courses that are, sometimes I meet people and they're like, I want to become a clinical informaticist, or I know I want to become um, like a rehab liaison. And so then they can go take a crash course. Cause it's that chunk of my course with a little extra on resumes and cover letters. And, um, and then I have just kind of, let's see what else I do coach people. You had asked about that, but yeah. I do it kind of on a case by case basis for people who've gone through my course, because mm-hmm. what I was finding is we would get on the call and someone would go, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm thinking, man, there's, I have this whole course and I could, I save them so much money if they just take the course and then they work through all of that. And then we can, we can take the coaching part and actually sit and dig in. And I can say, who do you want to connect with? And I, I connect them with company contacts I know, and I connect them with the right people. And then we talk through their, their resume they've already worked on. So we take it from, instead of, it's just kind of like a clinical resume that, that, you know, it would take six hours to tell them what they needed to do to it. Then it's already been done based on the course. And I say, oh, you know, I caught a couple of things you could tweak here. And so that's kind of the coaching I do. I would, I don't really consider myself primarily a coach, but I do these sort of strategy calls and interview prep as, as needed. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And that's basically similar thing that I found in my course, the cash PD blueprint is like the mindset and the vision and goal setting workshops that I've put in there. Less people do those. They just want to go straight to like, you know, whatever else is happening, you know, like set up the business and marketing. And I'm like, we got to start with these other places, right? (laughs) Yes. Cause you have to know what your why is and you have to understand what makes you tick because we're leaving, you know, people are leaving patient care because they don't feel like it fulfills them or makes them tick. And so then you don't want to end up doing something else that doesn't make you tick just because it sounds cool on paper. So I so relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize that you had a section like that in your course. Yeah. I mean, you got to have the the whole goal setting thing. You got to know what you want, you know, first off, and then you got to have like the right mindset going into it for marketing and for, uh, you know, like patient care and, and for, you know, like how do we build referrals and all that? I mean, all those things, it's a big, it's a big deal. And, uh, but everyone wants to like do all the good, cool stuff first, you know, and yep, that's yep. why they, what, that's why they don't teach you the cool stuff. Uh, first, when you go to like karate or taekwondo, you got to learn like the foundations. <laughs> Ooh, I like that analogy a lot. I, I sometimes say, Oh, it's like a CI wanting to take someone who's gone through PT school before, mm-hmm. you know, letting someone loose in the clinic under their license. But yeah, I I like your philosophy better because it's a little bit more holistic. (laughs) Thank you. What um, I do want to ask, and I know that you had put this down, but uh, you know, a lot of new grads get, I mean, I know some new grads who aren't treating patients um, and probably the internet makes it a little easier for them to find information, but I'm sure like new grads can do non-clinical, right? I mean, would that be crazy to have a new grad do something that wasn't treating patients? I don't think so at all. It's just you, when you are a new grad, it's definitely important to figure out what your, what your sort of assets are as a new grad, because someone who has 25 years of experience is going to have a totally different set of attributes to offer to an employer versus someone who's fresh out of PT school. And so I always 
let people know, you know, just understand what your special sauce is, because if you're coming out of PT school, you might want to work for an MPTE prep company, or you might want to work in clinical sales or something where your sort of lifestyle will align with the job. A sales company is generally not going to hire someone who's got two small children at home who is, you know, sitting in the interview going, I don't want to travel that much because I don't want to leave my family. And so as a newer grad, that's the kind of job that would appeal to you. Plus as a newer grad, a lot of people are going through these programs where they might get a DPT PhD or something along those lines. So they might qualify for a role like medical science liaison, where they really look for that extreme scientific and research-based knowledge and someone who's got the 25 years of patient care, but they might not have the DPT might do better in more of a clinical specialist role for say a company that does MS research or has some MS devices that they're trying to sell or like a Parkinson's disease, um, deep brain implant with deep brain stimulator, I think they're called uh, okay. so if you have 25 years of Parkinson's education under your belt then, um, or Parkinson's disease patient care, I should say under your belt, you might make a good educator in one of those clinical specialist roles. And since you've got 25 years of experience, if you have a family or if you have whatever's going on in your life, that might be kind of taking up your time during your like forties, um, you might not have it when you're in your fifties. And so then they could hire you into those roles. And I'm, I'm making a lot of generalization, assuming, I mean, I don't have kids, but like assuming people have kids in a certain time of their life or assuming that people have parents they want to take care of, but hiring ageism is real and hiring managers do come into things with preconceived notions. So to your point with new grads, just being able to play that up and saying, you know, Hey, I'm a 26 year old or 30 year old, whatever it is, I'm single unattached, or I don't have a family. I love traveling, that kind of thing. Just being able to play that up is pretty attractive so that you don't put the hiring manager in a position where they have to ask kind of an illegal question. Right. And, um, so it's just kind of playing, playing the hiring game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that I wasn't hired for a job. This was before PT schools. I was looking for a job at like one of these, uh, uh, like, like I was in the Bay area. So I was looking for a job at power bar and North face and this sports street marketing. And they made, uh, they make goo gel. It's one of these gels. And I remember them asking me, so, you know, like we go to trade shows on the weekends and what do you like to do? And I was like, well, I like to race bicycles. And, you know, they, they were like, well, we want you because you're, of your bicycle racing experience, but they didn't really want me uh, because I could tell, like, as soon as I talked to them about like, racing on the weekend and they were like, mm, they were like, nope, because uh, the job required you to work on the weekend. They, did, they thought I was more serious about it than I was. And I just, you know, I didn't get the job, you know? Interesting. Yeah. It's so funny how they ask those questions that are kind of gotchas and gimmies. I hear people saying all the time, I get, I do get a lot, a lot of young moms talking, mm -hmm. talking about who do I usually have coming in a lot of times it's young moms or young dads and they just, they want more time with their kids and right. they, it's interesting. Some of the questions that they get asked and it always relates back to the kids, the kids thing, or for women, it's like, are you planning to have kids? And so right. You know, technically, I don't know if it's a state thing or nationally, I think it might be statewide, but you're not allowed to ask about having kids in some cases. And so they get real creative about it. Right, right. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough. But I can tell you from my end, if someone came to me and was like, you know, I'm hiring you for uh, a job as a physical therapist. And they're like, yep, where do you see yourself in five years owning my own business? I'm like, you know, like, I don't feel like, you know, that's the, the answer that I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, I'm looking yes. for working for your business is like the answer, but you know, I want people to be truthful as well. Yeah. Um, Meredith, what are some of the, 
What are some of the most popular or common jobs for people to get non-clinical and what are the craziest ones that you've heard of? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the most popular ones. I will say the one that's like the bell of the ball right now that everybody seems to want is utilization reviewer mm-hmm. and full disclosure. I think I would claw my own eyeballs out if I had to do that <laughs> because it's, well, you have no variety. I'm a classic variety seeker where like, I want to, I want a job where you're doing some of everything. That's probably why I'm an entrepreneur. You probably have a similar thing mm-hmm. where I love switching tasks when, you know, if I, I can't get something done on one task, I can just immediately know that I can switch over to something where I will be a little bit more productive. So utilization review is, um, it's like insurance reviewers, prior offs, yeah. denials, all, all those fun things. And some people really, really love it. I mean, so I don't mean to to downplay it at all. It's a really, really good fit for people who like desk jobs and they like working independently and they like consistency in their schedule. I just personally don't like any of those things, so I wouldn't enjoy it. But that's probably the most popular one. And my theory for that is that I think you really don't need much extra, if any extra training to get into it, though there are some courses like some MedBridge courses out there that help you. And then there are a few different, um, like there's a nursing certification that if you get it on your resume, then it looks pretty good. And it kind of gives you an edge, but really it just comes down to experience for those jobs. If you have five plus years of clinical experience in multiple settings, you can usually qualify for those jobs are great for travelers, former travelers. Yeah. Um, but then, so that's one of the more traditional ones. I get a lot of people wanting to do writing because my initial whole background personally was writing. So even though I wouldn't say it's one of the most popular ones, I just get asked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, People ask me a lot about sales because that's one that's kind of got that more exciting sexiness. It pays a lot. And even though some of the more entry-level sales jobs aren't always super lucrative, you can, you can really move up. And then you're saying, what are some of the crazy ones? I mean, I would argue that you're one of the crazy ones. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've got entrepreneurship. I think that's great there. I've been seeing a lot of people running online businesses But if we're talking about not doing entrepreneurship, one of my favorite ones that I think we really belong in is medical science liaison, which is it's, it's kind of like if research sales, clinical specialist, and uh, I guess maybe clinical trainer had a baby together, then it would Mm -hmm. be medical science liaison. So you would work for a company and you represent some sort of intervention or product or device. And you travel the world meeting with key opinion leaders or KOLs as they're called. And you meet with them and you tell them everything there is to know about your company, their device, the latest research, the contraindications, the indications. And so it's a really exciting role for people who are like, I really want to be the absolute expert on this thing, get a lot of accolades. Again, this comes back to the holistic view of what, what makes you pick, what do you want out of a job? Some people really want recognition. And if you like recognition and you like people thinking that you're really smart, then medical science liaison, you're, I mean, you're basically traveling the world, you're making bank and you have a really impressive title. The caveat to this is that you typically need some sort of background either in sales or you need some background in, um, like marketing or research, you need something to kind of get you to that, that role. I don't see many people just going straight from patient care to there, but that um, one to me makes my skin crawl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the travel sounds cool, but all the other stuff I'm like, but you know, like that's the, the, I think the, the, the point I want to make, pardon me, it's like, I'm not going to say that, but the point I want to make is that if you know yourself really well, you can figure out what you want to do. Like, And you've just been telling me how you've 
know yourself really well now. And the whole point, you know, like I, I've been working on that and I know why I do what I do. So, you know, wouldn't you say that that's one of the keys to figuring this whole thing out? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, unfortunately, part of the issue with PT is that it's, it's touted as this really stable career, which it was for a long time and it will be again, I think, but it's touted as this really stable career with a good income, like good earning potential. And unfortunately there, even though, yes, you can, you can earn a lot and you can, I mean, you can start a cash-based business and make bank. You can, you can certainly do it, but the vast majority of traditional clinical jobs, you're not going to make a lot of money. And what they're leaving out is the that you're going to be in so much debt. And so then the joy that comes from patient care, which is another thing that's touted, isn't really there either. And so I think people kind of sign up for it because it sounds so perfect and it sounds like it's the best of everything. But the reality is it fulfills some of those things sometimes for some people, but it's still a job. And it's, it's kind of one of those jobs that's not always ideal right now, especially during a pandemic, especially with reimbursement cuts, especially with mounting costs of education. And so I think that's what's happening is people are kind of going into it because we're still imagining what it was like maybe in the early 90s almost or in the early 2000s at least. And the reality is it's just a very different profession from what it used to be. And you can still get there and be adaptable. I think you are a perfect story for that. You know, you, you were able to take this education and training and then make your own business. And it's been so great and it's thrived. And there are so many success stories like that. But I think that if you're just going into it because you're signing up because it's stable and you can have this career and you'll never get laid off and you'll get benefits and you'll get treated well and respect. Like the reality is you probably won't get all of those things in one job. It's, it's really hard, at least not in a big city. And that was the other point is I think in big cities, a paycheck that would be incredible where I grew up in Tyler, Texas. I mean, you would live high on the hog to make that kind of money. And the schools are cheaper. There's a school in University of Arkansas. It's, you know, there, or I think it's Arkansas State, maybe I can't remember, but it's, it's so much cheaper than a lot of the schools in these bigger cities. Like if you went to Columbia or you went to um, somewhere in San Diego. And so, people aren't really necessarily thinking about that. They kind of go, they go, yeah, this is this great career. It doesn't matter how many loans I have to take out. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get there and everything's going to work itself out. And so then if you plan to live in Chicago or you plan to live in Minneapolis or San Diego or any of these big cities, San Francisco, that paycheck is not going to get you where you want to be. And so I, I think just so much of it to your point is you have to know yourself. You have to know your circumstances. What are your must haves? If you must live in San Francisco and you must have a certain lifestyle level, you might not want to be a PT long-term. Whereas if you want those same things, but you must live in you know, the outskirts of Tyler, Texas, then cool. You'll probably be perfectly happy being a PT forever. And anecdotally, I see that all the time. Most of the people who come in and work with me, not all, but quite a few are in bigger cities because they're, they're seeing a financial cap and it's just not working for them. Yeah. Or if you must live in San Francisco, you must have roommates as an adult, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I did for 10 years. You know, just yep. like, you just got to have roommates if you want to live there. Um, yeah. And that was been a long time, but yeah, there's a concession. I think it's like, you can't always have the lifestyle uh, to live in the same the city you want. You got to choose a couple different from a couple different things. Well, yeah. Yeah. Meredith, that was, that's awesome. Like I, 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 I think that's a great point that you just made and, and really important. If people understand what they want and what their requirements are, they'll find the right fit. Yeah. What um, do you have any, is there anything else? Did we leave anything out? Like, 
if someone is uh, maybe disaffected by their career as a PT or their choice, you know, is there any advice that you have for them or they're just getting burnt out and like, I'm, I'm done with doing this right now? Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the biggest advice I can give anybody who hits that point is to take a deep breath and don't make any sudden moves. That's I'm quoting my dad here, but really don't, don't jump from the frying pan into the fire and just take a job, sun job, any job, because it's not in your current, because it's not your current job, unless your current job is so toxic that you it's affecting your health negatively, in which case, yes, make a move. But if you're just kind of feeling disaffected or unhappy, but you can hang on and and stick it out, try to take the time to put yourself in a, in a position where you will have transferable skills. You have transferable skills as a PT, but put yourself in the position where you understand what those transferable skills are and you know where you're going next so that you can then develop any skills that you're missing because transferable skills are soft and hard. You've got... Um, soft skills like negotiation and building rapport and time management and things like that. And then you have hard skills such as I know this particular software, or I know how to create a wireframe for like a UX job. I didn't even mention UX. That's another exciting <laughs> one, but, um, but yeah, so there, there are all these different things to take in mind or to keep in mind. So I just urge people not to, not to just jump into utilization re review because you're scared. Everybody's going to, going to saturate it. And then you won't be able to get a job. Think about what you want to do. And then really think about what your end goal is. What is your five-year plan? You mentioned that earlier. What's your five-year plan? What's your end 10-year plan? But I always recommend too. don't just look at it career wise. Think about it. Life-wise think to yourself, my 10-year plan is I want to be not working that much. I want to be semi-retired. Okay. So if that's your 10 year plan, then you need to be focusing on money and it not necessarily even just earning. This is going to impact where you live. This is going to impact how you save. This is going to impact what kinds of jobs you take. And then if somebody's 10 year plan is like, I love working and I want to work forever, but I just want to have like a bunch of kids. So I need to support them or I don't want kids. And so I want to travel, but think about how your life is going to be, then think about, well, what kind of career fits in with that? And then think, how does my PT experience fit into that career? And right. if you take it from that kind of top-down mentality, then it's so much easier to feel really confident and have a direction. And then all of us were successful getting into PT school and becoming PTs if, if we're listening to this show. So it's not like you can't do it. You just have to have a plan. You, you, I think so many people come at it from this place of desperation where they're just like, Oh, I've been sending out resumes to hundreds of companies and I'm not hearing anything. And I'm thinking that's because you're sending out a clinical resume to like 90 different jobs and you're not qualified for any of them, but you can't get qualified because you can't decide because you're so panicked. And then you just go to sleep every night, like, you know, humana, 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 just right. kind of like hugging yeah. your knees. So, yeah, no, that's a great point. Well, you know, Meredith, uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you or, um, I know you have a Facebook group, like where do they find you online and where's your, and what's your Facebook group called? Sure. Sure. My Facebook group is pretty much a mouthful. It's non-clinical network. I think it's non-clinical networking and jobs for rehab professionals, or maybe it's rehabilitation professionals. Yeah. There's a link from my website. So I would encourage people to just, just go to the nonclinicalpt.com and you can find a link to my Facebook group. You can find a link to, I've got a ton of spotlights. It's, I'm too shy to do um, a podcast like this, but I end up doing um, 
spotlight series where it's like I email people questions and I interview them. So it's just a bunch of people who've taken these non-traditional roles. I'm still waiting on your questions, by the way. Oh, you are. I'll, okay. I'll resend them. I'll resend them. I sent them. I don't know if, they, if you ever got them, but, um, but yeah, so it's basically just people who have done unique un, non-traditional things with their careers. And, um, I feature them usually most Sundays or, you know, probably about 40 Sundays out of the year. Yeah. And so I encourage people to start if they're feeling overwhelmed. You said, where do I start? Where do I start? Start by looking at the spotlight series because there are so many ideas in there. And I have heard so many people say, I went to your website and I read the spotlight and it just like touched my heart and I decided to do it. And now I'm in that kind of position. And when I hear that kind of thing, it's, it's just like the best feeling on earth. That's awesome. That's really cool. And by the way, sorry, if I hadn't sent them in, cause like my brain has been so full of all these things. Yeah, I don't no, know that I've seen it or gotten it or it got buried in my email because I have no three worries. email accounts and they just go and pile up. So no, uh, I please, understand. <laughs> please send that to me and I'll, I'll sure. get that done soon. So sure. that'd be awesome. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. Uh, this has really been awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. great. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again uh, before the next five years is up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And well, chat. So I look forward to seeing you again in person sooner uh, than later. Um, and thank you for sharing all your insights and uh, experience. So um, this has been the Cash PG Lunch Hour with uh, Aaron LeBauer and Meredith Kasten. And if you are struggling with the whole patient care thing, just know that you've got the clinical skills and the knowledge and expertise to do a whole lot of good in the world. You just got to find the right place. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, what's up, it's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you wanna learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I wanna get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there, I wanna give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.